Okay, Boker Tov. Today is Wednesday, the 20th of the month of Av, here at Boker Tov Synagogue, and I'm excited to get back to our Parsha class. We've taken a very long break. This Shabbos, we have the privilege of reading Parsha's Ekev, and uh, it can be found in the article Stone Chumash on the beginning of Parsha's Ekev. can be found on page 980. As is our custom, we'll give a brief overview of the whole Parsha, and then take some sukkim and analyze them. The purpose of this shear of this uh, of this class is to go through the psukim and analyze them and see how our Rishonim from the Mikros Gedolos approach the text rather than give Vortlach um, but rather to try to dissect the text together and anomalies and questions that come up. So a quick overview. Moshe is continuing his soliloquy, his monologue to the Jewish people as they stand on the cusp of entering the Holy Land. He reminds them, Ekev Tishma'un, the reward for the, for the mitzvos, uh, people who, um, who trample on those things that seem small and insignificant, but really we cannot calculate what is considered significant and insignificant in the eyes of Hashem. And the Torah promises all kinds of promises. Hashem will love us and will multiply and will take care of our grains and uh, will be blessed from all the nations. There'll be no infertility in us and our animals. He'll remove all illness from us and so on and so forth. Tremendous bounty of blessing that will uh, fall upon us if we embrace his values, his ways, lead a lifestyle consistent with that which he has designed for us. That's the promise. Then the Torah continues. You're going to get fearful. You're going to worry. How can I cash in on this promise? How do I know? Look how strong and mighty these nations are. So Hashem continues, Moshe continues the promise, have no fear. Hashem was with you in the past, I'll be with you now. You will be successful and triumphant in your enemies. The next uh, parakhas deals with, that's what we're going to analyze this morning together, the lesson of food, the relationship towards food, how food is really a test for man. And, uh, and we either grow or we become animalistic through our approach to food. We'll see that uh, shortly. It culminates in the mitzvah of benching. The ultimate expression of our attitude and relationships towards food. The Torah then goes on. Don't forget Hashem when you become successful and wealthy. Prosperity breeds arrogance. It's easy to forget the Almighty and His role in arriving at the status that we have arrived, the comfort that we, uh, that we enjoy. So don't forget, People will be tempted to say in their heart, it's my strength, it's my accomplishment, it's my achievement, it's my skill, my wisdom, my acumen that led to this success. Moshe, in this parsha, really in Sefer Tzvarim, Moshe is this incredible psychological insight into man. Moshe stands like a parent, and, and tragically, unfortunately, I've been there with uh, people who've died prematurely, prematurely. Hashem decides what's the timing, but from our perspective, prematurely, very young. And in one case, a woman who died, died tragically very young, and the final nights of her life, my wife sat with her as she tried to write letters to her children that they would have trying to anticipate their future, look into the challenges they would confront and face, celebrate with them their successes. That's Moshe. Moshe is the parent of this group of two to three million children who are about to go on. They're in their adolescence. They're about to mature and experience really the purpose when they get into Eretz Yisrael and they set up a life, society, community. And he has to anticipate the challenges they will face and as a parent who won't be there with them to usher them into this next stage of life, he's trying to empower them and give them the tools to succeed. So he anticipates you're going to reach great success and you're going to forget about Hashem. 
So when you feel when you start to think it's my success, it's my achievement, don't forget who got you there. Then remember you're crossing the Jordan River opposite Yericho, opposite Jericho. You're going to see great nations. You're going to be fearful. Don't forget, Hashem took you out of Mitzrayim with great miracles. Hashem is going to take you into Israel with great miracles. And that's the constant refrain, the constant theme Moshe keeps going back to is, as you enter normal life, you've lived 40 years of transcendent existence, 40 years of miracles, 40 years of the undeniability of Hashem's presence in your life. And as you go into what will be a normative lifestyle, where Hashem has concealed the natural order, of a judicial system, of agricultural system, of a police system, of an army. Don't forget Hashem. And indeed, Moshe anticipated well. In 2012, in Tafshin, Ayin Beis, here we are, struggling from exactly this malady in Israel and everywhere. We forget, we've reached a certain amount of success, and so on. Torah goes on, it tells us about the Aron, and it holds the, not only the Luchos Rishonos, we'll see in the Dafyomi in a couple days, Gemara Brachos, Luchos Vishivri, Luchos Menachem Ba'aron, the broken Luchos are also in the Aron, we've spoken about that before, the idea of holding on not only to the successful moments, but holding on to the, the broken moments in life and learning from them. Moshe reminds them of Aaron's death, who the Leviim are, how they're segregated, they're distinguished, they're on a different level. And uh, remember, reminding the people of the miracles they felt firsthand from Hashem, the land of Israel, its amazing virtues. Then we have the second paragraph of Shema, which is consistent with these things. If you listen to my mitzvahs, I shower you with, your ble- you with blessing. You forget me, you knock me out of the equation, I'm going to withdraw, you're on your own, you're vulnerable and susceptible to the elements. And good luck to you without me, says Hashem. So embrace me, invite me in, you're going to be in good shape. Neglect me and push me out, I'll be out. And you're susceptible and vulnerable, you're on your own, good luck. That's an overview of the parsha, which brings us to Paraches, Pasuk, Aleph. Chapter 8, verse 1, if you're following in the Stone Chumash, it's page 982-983. If you're in the Mikros, Gedolos, it's Paraches, Pasuk, Aleph. Yes? How do you translate the words between Bohoyo and Tishman, in other words, the Akeh? In the beginning of the parsha. I'm sorry? In the beginning of the parsha you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, tishmu'un. Yeah. So we so discussed that, I think, last year, yeah. Okay. No, so that, that's, that's a question. How do you read it? Ekev tishmu'un. Rashi has the cute play on words. Ekev is a heel, meaning if you step all over these mitzvahs, or Ekev, if you hearken, Ekev tishmu'un seems redundant. The Mepharshim struggle with that, with that question. Okay, Perechaz Pasuk Aleph. Kol mitzvah she'anochi mitzavcha hayom tishmu'un la'asos. All of the, hey ha'yidiya, the, doesn't say kol mitzvos. It says, Kol mitzvah, all of the mitzvah that I command you today. Another refrain throughout the book of Dvarim. I once gave a sermon about this topic. Moshe seems obsessed with this word hayom. Hayom, hayom, hayom. Pay attention with a keen eye to Sefer Dvarim. Moshe over and over and over again. And usually, Mepharshim explained, Moshe emphasizes hayom to ingrain within us that every day it should be as if it's new. That the message is not archaic and arcane, it's not outdated, irrelevant. We haven't graduated from it. Hayom means it remains relevant each and every day of our life. So Moshe says, This mitzvah that I command you, Hayom, Tishmarun la'asos, be careful to obey. Why? Observe it, and then you will live, and you will increase. Today's daf yomi. Moshe, the promise Hashem made to Moshe, Urevisem. You see through the promise of Moshe's own children and who revisem, 
um, in the beginning of Sefer Shmos. So you will increase, you'll promulgate, you'll propagate, you'll come and possess the land that Hashem swore to your forefathers. What is this mitzvah? What is this mitzvah? Kol mitzvah. So the Ramban, Nachmanides writes, Tam kol mitzvah. that's the obvious question. It doesn't say mitzvos generically. Keep mitzvos and you'll get the land and you'll populate it and you'll inherit it. The land it says ha-mitzvah. Ha-mitzvah. Hey, idea. So the Ramban writes, What's the mitzvah? Loma afapisha is harti eschem b'mishpatim gam kol ha-mitzvos tishmurun la-asos. Ki ba-asiyos kulon tichyun u-revisim b'pribatan u-fri behema u-fri adama kechol ha-niskar l-mala. Says the Ramban, even though it's written in the singular ha-mitzvah, the Ramban interprets it to the plural. Don't only be careful with the mishpatim, with the ordinances, but be careful with the mitzvos. Observe the mitzvos, the lifestyle. And if you do, then you will merit all of these all of these blessings. So the Ramban seems to say, even though it says mitzvah, really it means all of the mitzvos. Rashi, Rashi writes, Kipshuto, meant to be understood literally. What does he mean, Kipshuto? If you look at the Sifsei Chachamim, like the Ramban, Perish, Sheshem mitzvah, Sheshem hamin. Kilu Amar Kol HaMitzvos. So Rashi's understanding the mitzvah does not mean with Hey Hayidiya, the mitzvah, but it means all of mitzvos. Kol HaMitzvah means the species, the category. We have different categories. We have that which we call Chukim, that which we call Mishpatim, that which we call Mitzvos. How to define exactly the differences between them is not for right now. But Rashi says when it says Kol HaMitzvah, it means the category of mitzvos. Umedrash, I got a Rashi quote to Medrash. Imischalta b'mitzvah gemorosa. If you began a mitzvah, finish it. We have a big concept in Judaism. Kol HaMitzvah b'mitzvah omram lo gemor. She'ena nikras mitzvah se'el ha'ashem ha'gomra. Why? Because the mitzvah is not defined by the individual who began it, but the mitzvah is defined by the individual who concludes it. Who finishes it? Who brings it through fruition? Shenema, the verse says in the book of Joshua, It says the bones of Yosef that the Jewish people brought out of Egypt. Yosef, if you remember, if you recall, made his children make a promise that when they will be redeemed from Egypt, ultimately, they will bring his bones, he will find a resting place in Israel, not permanently in Mitzrayim. And indeed, Kever Yosef is in Shechem. Tragically, today, we don't really have access, though they've restarted under army protection. If you remember, during the Second Intifada, there was a great rabbi who went to visit. He was murdered by the Arabs, by uh, so-called Palestinians, in Kever Yosef in Shechem. Yosef ultimately was buried in Shechem. So wonders Rashi or the Medrash Valo Moshe Levadonis Asik Ben Lahalosam. Moshe himself carried out the bones, fulfilled the promise. Why does the Torah identify this mitzvah with Bnei Yisrael rather than with Moshe? Because Moshe did not succeed in finishing it, not because he was lazy, he wasn't allowed entrance to Israel. So it was the Jewish people who picked up where he left off. says, since it was others who finished it. We identify, associate the mitzvah with the individual who finished it. It's quoted by Shulchan Aruch in a number of places. For example, the one who said shortly, Slichos will be upon us. The one who says Slichos is the one who should lead the davening. Why? Whoever started the mitzvah, we tell him, finish it. Why? If you look at the Mepharshim there on the Gemara and Brachos and the Shulchan Aruch, they say very clearly, because it's so easy to begin a project. It's easy to start something. The whole world right now is learning Daf Yomi. It's exciting. 
They just finished the cycle, began the 13th cycle, everybody. January 2nd, everybody belongs to a gym. Everybody's exercising. Everybody's on a diet. That's not the test. January 2nd, if you're going to the gym. The test is the end of December, if you're still going to the gym. The test is, when you get to Mesechus Nida, at the end of seven and a half years, are you still doing the Daf Yomi? To start a project is easy. To finish it... Not so easy. To finish it, that's much, that's much harder. So Rashi says, the Medrash you see from here, kol ha-mitzvah, you begin the mitzvah, don't just begin it, but see it through to fruition, see it through all the way to the end. The Kliyakar notes another anomaly in our Pasuk. Again, the purpose of our shir is not a little vortlach, uh, but try to dissect and analyze the, the Pesukim. So the Kliyakar of Lunchitz notices another anomaly. Says the, says the Kliyakar, Hizcha balashan yachid, v'siyem balashan rabim. Pasuk begins in the singular, addressing the individual. I command you, Tishmarun la'asos. It begins in the singular and it ends in the rabbin. Tishmarun la'asos laman techyun urivisem. Urivisem is in the plural. Why does it start in the singular and then shift to the plural? Says the Kliyakul, if he should tzadik yisod olam. A righteous person is the foundation, is a pillar of the world. The reason the Pasuk shifts is to tell us, in the beginning you were an individual who did a mitzvah. It's consistent with the opening of the Parsha. It seems insignificant, big deal. You did a little mitzvah. You helped an old woman across the street. You studied a little Torah. You put on tefillin. You lit candle. You took challah. You did a mitzvah. No one was there. You don't think it has cosmic impact or cosmic influence. You did something seemingly insignificant. A little mitzvah. But the end of the Pasuk is, the bracha is to the rabbim. It is the community. It is the plural, multiple people who benefit. Because when a person, an individual does a mitzvah, it has a cosmic impact. An individual who does tshuva, who redefines, who reshapes themselves, everybody is forgiven. It starts out in the singular of the mitzvah. You did a little mitzvah. It is the many, it is the masses who benefit. Because when an individual does a mitzvah, it benefits everybody. It benefits everybody in the revealed way. Because the more individuals do a mitzvah, it shifts the culture. It changes the culture. The more private individuals who do mitzvahs, the more it influences, by osmosis, the community. But it also has a cosmic impact in a spiritual sense. Even if it doesn't influence anybody through osmosis, our merits are all collected in one place, and uh, there has a big impact. The Rambam writes in Elchus Tshuva that we should view ourselves as if the scales of the world are exactly in balance. They're even. And the next act we do will shift the scales to influence the very determination of the world, the very destiny of the world. We do a good deed, the scales shift in the favor of the world. We make a wrong choice, the scales shift unfavorably for the world. So therefore the verse says the Kliyakar begins Lashon Yachid in the singular and ends Lashon Rabbim. Okay, for those who walked in, we're on page 982 in the Stone Chumash. Beginning of chapter 8, we read the first verse. We continue.
Pasuk Beis. Remember the entire path that God took us on. God took us for 40 years in the desert. And what was the purpose? Why did we go on this 40 year journey? And why in this desert climate? And why did we confront the elements that we confronted? What was it all about? Says Moshe. I'll tell you now, at the end of the 40 years. You know why you just went through this whole period? Laman anoscha, l'nasoscha, l'adas es asher belvavcha, hasashemor mitzvosav imlo. God caused us to struggle in order to test us, to know, to reveal what's in our hearts. Are we committed to His mitzvos or not? You know what this 40 years was about? An incubator period in the desert. 40 years in our adolescence as we were forming as a nation, purging the slave mentality, becoming a sacred people, a covenantal community, as the Rav put it. And why? In order to test us. Because when all is well, it's not much of a test. It's when you confront hardship. It's when you squeeze. It's when the oyster is agitated that it produces the pearl. So Kadosh Baruch Hu put us through in order to reveal what's in our hearts, what it's really all about. How was it a test? So let's see. Here are all the commentaries comment. Says Rashi, says Rashi, Interesting. Rashi translates the verse entirely differently than I would have. Between me and Rashi, I'd go with Rashi, by the way. But entirely different than what I would describe as the Pasha Pshat, the simple meaning of the text. The easy understanding is, he put us through this incubator in the desert 40 years, to challenge us, who is testing whom? The easy understanding is God is testing us. Rashi doesn't say that. God put us through this to see if we would test Him. Sif Sechachamim notes this. Look at the Sif Sechachamim, the super commentary on Rashi. God was testing us that we would go through this experience in the desert to see whether we turn to God and say, what's the point of all of these mitzvos? Zu Torah v'zuz Chorah. You gave us this mitzvos and still we struggle? I thought the purpose of mitzvos is to live an enlightened, empowered, enriched, wonderful life. I'm struggling, I'm suffering. What's the point of these mitzvos? That was the test. Would you only embrace mitzvos in a time of ease, of plenty, of blessing, of abundance, of bounty? Or would mitzvos be meaningful even when the elements confront us and we struggle? So Rashi understands, Hasishmor mitzvosavim lo, will you retain fidelity to the mitzvos? Will you be loyal to the mitzvos even when the times are hard? So Rashi, off the bat, gives a very different interpretation than I would have given. From the verse, it seems to me that God is saying, I tested you. Rashi reinterprets it to say, no, the Pasuk is saying, will you test God? What are these tests? So if you look at the Ibn Ezra, Vaya'ancha, where's the challenge? Baderach. Walking 40 years in the desert, carrying everything you own on your back, the sun beating down on you. I was in Israel this summer for two weeks. That Middle East sun, it sucks the very life out of you. It is tough. And we had air conditioning. This is their 40-year desert in the Middle East. Baderach. What's? Laban Anoscha. That is the, the challenge. Says the Rashbam. 
למען אנוסך זה עינוי שאין פס בסלחה וחייך תלויים למרום בכל יום. You know what the challenge was? The challenge was that you didn't have פס בסלחה. We all have a bank account and if you're lucky you have a few shekel in the bank account. You have a few, you have a few uh, dollars in the bank account. So, okay, you're not worried about where tonight's meal is going to come from. Maybe you're worried about next month. Maybe you're worried about next year. Maybe you're worried about your retirement. But today, tomorrow morning, your breakfast, there's a little cereal in the cupboard, a little oatmeal. You know where your breakfast is going to come from. In the desert, they didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. Says the Rashbam, Rabbi Shmuel ben Meir, Rashi's grandson, that's La'anoscha. That's the test. When you don't know where the next meal is going to come from, that's a test. Then you're being squeezed. And through it, says the Svarna Lenasa you will be tested. So you see the Svarna, the Rashbam, understand different than Rashi. Rashi understood the question was, will we test God? The other Mephoshim understand the question is, how will we withstand the test from God? And what's the point of it? The mandas asher belvalcha to know what's in our heart. Says the svarno shiem mashal belibecha yotze lepoel, so that what's in your heart will come out. Kedesh yeda kol malach shebedin tiyeh malatz chayosem and malach yasharis. Si alach yediasi apoelas atov karoy lenimtza bepoel. The the svarno is saying something that the Ramban said earlier. What's a test? A test brings it menakoach el apoel. It brings it from the potential to the real. Right? We've spoken about in the past. Only when we're put in a place of hardship do we ever identify, discover the potential that we really have. A little 110-pound skinny mother who can't struggles to lift a gallon milk and put it in her cart in the supermarket if a car is pinning her son to the ground, she finds the ability through the adrenaline to lift that car to get her son out. She could never find that koach, that strength, if not put in that hard situation. Sometimes we're placed in a moment of hardship. We discussed this when we talked about Hashem ve'alokim nisayas Avraham. Nisayon is a test. God tested Avraham. A test is menakoach, the Ramban writes there. Menakoach it's what the Svarno writes here. So collectively as a community, we were tested. And why was it? Because God wanted us to suffer? No. A test is not a test. The Ramban redefines, the Svarno redefines. The word lenasoscha is not test. It means opportunity. Through the challenge we face, we discover opportunity. We discover power. We discover latent potential that we didn't know that we have and we bring it out into the reality. Turn back to the second half of the Kliyaka. That's what the Kliyaka writes so eloquently. The Kliyakar on Pasuk Aleph in the second half says exactly this. And that which we said that God challenges us to test us. See the word can have multiple meanings. It means God tested Avraham. On the one hand the Shorish Nun Samach means a test. On the other hand in our davening what do we say? Gather the exiles, bring us together. Visa nace and raise a a banner, a flag. A nace is also a banner, a flag. It seems to me that the word test and banner, flag really are synonymous. When we endure a test and we discover something about ourselves, we can post a flag. We can raise the banner. It is a major day in our lives that we learn something new about ourselves. So says the Kliyakar, the same thing here. When it says, 
I tested you, Ladas Asher Belvavcha, to know what's in your heart. Lashon Haramas Nais. It means to raise the flag. Kilu Husam Lavavcha Al Nais Gavoa. We God says, I put your heart on the flag and I raised it. Voshiva Pesach Einaim Shakol Tzufos Bo. I I took your heart and I put what's in your heart on the flag and I raised your flag for everyone to see. God wasn't concerned, says the Kliyakar, for him knowing what's in your heart. God knows what's in everyone's heart. Whom did God want to see what was in our hearts? Us. But We're about to enter the land. He wants all the inhabitants of the land to know this people that just came out of Egypt 40 years ago, this little young nation, this young democracy in Israel today, only founded in 1948, you're going to go up against them? You're going to send rockets and missiles into them? You're going to send suicide bombers? You're going to try to drive them into the sea? God says, let me prove what's in their heart and put it on a flag and let the world see the courage and the conviction, the resolve and the tenacity, the faith that they live with. The other nations will see. Jewish people came out of the Holocaust. The other nations saw a people with a will, with a tenacity, with a survival instinct, with the ability to rebuild, with the ability to restore the dignity of the past. And that means something. It says, Hashem, that's why I caused you to, to challenges, which we until now interpreted as a test. The Kliyakar interprets it as to raise a flag, to raise a banner for the world to see what's in your heart, for the world to see what's in your soul, for the world to see what you have in you. Beautiful. So we saw the Rashi understands God is worried that man will test him. Everyone else understands no. God is testing man. How will we react through 40 years in the desert? Kliyakar says, God is not testing at all. God is bringing out what is inside of us so He could raise it on a banner, on a flag for all others to see. Pasuk Gimel. Much more to talk about with all of this. But there's a lot I want to get to. Pasuk Gimel. Vayancha so again, Vayancha means, I caused you challenges. God tested us. Vayarivecha means, we were hungry. So what did He do to satisfy our hunger? He gave us the man. But this man, this food stuff, was something loyadata, we didn't know from it. Not only did we have not know from it, our forefathers didn't know from it. Why did God give it to us? Why did we first have to feel the pangs of hunger? only to be satisfied by the man, this mysterious food we had no prior experience with, because it was, again, a message. to teach us. That man does not exist from bread alone. We survive and we live on that which comes from Hashem. On that which comes from Hashem. See thee. Ramban. Ramban says, what does it mean that we didn't know from this bread and our forefathers didn't know? Who cares if our forefathers ever had the man? Bottom line was, we were hungry. And the bottom line was, God gave us food. Whether we knew of that food beforehand or didn't, who cares? Whether our forefathers had an experience with that food beforehand, what's the relevance? Who cares? 
Says the Ramban, Nachmanides, no, we care. We didn't know from this food whether it would sustain us or not. We didn't have a tradition from our forefathers whether this food could sustain us. So it is significant. It means we were hungry and God deposited this food upon us from heaven. Um, but we didn't know whether it would sustain us to the next day. And nevertheless, we were satisfied. That was part of the test. So the Ramban offers two interpretations. The first is that um, we were eating this food that we didn't know from, our forefathers didn't know from, and therefore we couldn't have any sense of confidence it would sustain us. The second shot is, God must have loved you. Moshe is talking to this generation. He gave you the man, and he didn't give it to your forefathers. They didn't know from it. All the twelve shvatim followed God's charge. They didn't attain the level of being worthy, of being sustained from the Almighty Himself through the man, and you did. Moshe is pumping up the people. You've attained a level that they didn't. In the merit of Moshe, you have access to a food that no one else before and no one else after had. Strive to remind them of their distinct status during this time. Okay, so that's the relevance of your forefathers didn't have it. Pasuk Dalad. Pasuk Dalad. By the way, what's kilo al alechem levado yechia adam? That, uh, well, you know what, let's, let's keep going, let's keep going. Pasig Dalit. Is it very hot in here? Just me? Yes, he said that. Okay, not so hot. Maybe just me. Drinking the coffee right before the class. Okay, Pasig Dal. Moshe continues to tell him, remember, the man fell for you, and you also had other miracles. Namely, your clothing did not wear out, and your feet did not become batseka. What's batseka? Have they translated here? Swollen. How do you know batseka? Swollen was the word batseka. What happens when you walk for a very, very long time? You're in Israel, you're walking everywhere you go, you go on a hike, you take your feet out of your shoes, you take your shoes off, when you try to put your shoes back on, what happens? Your feet have swollen in the interim. Says Moshe, what a miracle. You didn't just go on a hike for an hour, you've been walking for 40 years. And nevertheless, your feet have not swollen. Forty years, the same clothing, it hasn't worn out. It hasn't worn out. What a miracle. Recognize the miracle. Says Rashi, what do you mean your clothing hasn't worn out? Two miracles. The Anani covered were a great dry cleaner in the sky. Your clothing was ironed, was fresh, was starched, was clean, never wore out. And number two, children. 
Someone who came out of Mitzrayim as 10 years old was going into Israel at 50 years old. The clothing they had when they were 10 years old should not fit them at 50, correct? Well, there was no Lord and Taylor, Marshalls, Neiman Marcus, wherever you shop, Nord, Nordstrom's, Sims, Aleh Shalom. There was no Sims in the, in the Midbar. So where did they get the new clothing? So Rashi quotes the Medrash, they didn't need it. Miraculously, their clothing grew with them. Look at the Kliyakar. Your clothing didn't wear out, wear out from on you. Kliyakar is very careful. He's looking, he's reading. It doesn't say your clothing didn't wear out on you. It says from upon you. It's talking about the sweat. Maybe that's why I'm passing out over here. Oh, Baruch Hashem. The sweat didn't, the sweat, the perspiration from upon you. Um, so what happens? The more you perspire, the more it wears out the clothing that's absorbing the perspiration. Again, I'm trying to show you the sensitivity to the wording. We should have noticed that mem. It should say, Your clothing didn't wear out upon you. But it doesn't say that. It says, From upon you. How do you understand that? The Kliyakar understands that me'alecha, it didn't wear out from that which is upon you, namely, your sweat and perspiration. And that's why it continued, your feet did not swell. The reason for one's feet swelling and clothing wearing out are one and the same, namely, walking 40 years in the desert. Um, and then the Kliyakar ends and references the Daf Yomi from yesterday. The spirits. Normally it says, you know why our clothing wear out? Because there are spirits all around us. Mazikim, shadim. And the spirits rub up against our clothing. Gemara and yesterday's Dafyomi Brachas Davav said, there are a thousand to our left and ten thousand to our right. Spirits everywhere we turn, how if we were able to see them, we would be paralyzed and gripped with fear. But the rubbing against all the spirits wears out our clothing and that's why we need to replace it. And Gemara says, that's why even Tamid Chachamim, all they're doing is sitting and learning. Why are their clothing wearing out? Because the Shadim attacked them. So in the Midbar, says the Kliyakar, these Shadim didn't exist. In the Midbar, these spirits were not there. And therefore, they didn't pose a problem. Ravan Salavechik, Zatzal, Roshiv of Brisk in Chicago, gave Shir in Yeshiva University as well, the brother of the Rav, in his book, Logic of the Heart, Logic of the Mind, he has an essay, he writes, he understands Shadim not to be taken literally as spirits. He understands Shadim because the Rambam rejects the whole concept of beings, of spirits that attack us. So he reinterprets based on the Rambam that Shadim means bacteria, viruses. If one could see, and that's how he understands the Gemara, if you could see the bacteria in the air, you'd be gripped with fear. A thousand to our left, ten thousand to our right. Bacteria, the elements of the earth, that's what makes our clothing wear out. They're exposed to the elements of the world. That was what, that, so that's what they were protected from in the Midbar. They didn't face those struggles. Weiter. So, so uh, does the word clothing include uh, footwear of any kind? Yeah. Yeah. Pasuke, Viadata, verse 5. Viadatim levavecha. Viadata, no Hashem, in your heart. Ki kasher yaser ishas beno. Hashem alokecha miyasreka. The same way a parent challenges or tests a child, um, rebukes the child, so too Hashem does the same thing to us. 
the challenges that we faced, don't resent Hashem for it, em- uh, accept it, embrace it, understand it as an expression of love from Hashem. Hashem was trying to bring out the best from us. Just like a parent rebukes a child, is trying to have the child learn a lesson, Hashem was trying to have us learn a lesson. Okay, if I pass out, you'll... Someone pick up from Pasukeh. I'm sorry, yeah, Pasukeh. Look at the Ramban. What does it mean the same way a parent chastises, rebukes a child? For his good, gives him rebuke. What's the rebuke? Says the Ramban. At first he made it hard for us living through the Midbar. When we get into Eretz Yisrael, yeah, that would be great, please. When we get into Eretz Yisrael, um, when we get into Eretz Yisrael and we see the beauty of the land, maybe there's cold water in there, we see the beauty of the land, we will uh, grow from it. First we've struggled through the Midbar, and when we get into Israel and we see the bounty, we will, uh, we will have grown through that experience. And we'll know Hashem, Vyadata im levavecha. Know in your heart, know in your heart that there is Hashem. It's a beautiful Orachayim on this. We don't have time. Let's keep going. Pasuk Vav. Observe Hashem's ways. Know that He's there. Keep His mitzvos to go on His path. And to fear Him. Hashem your God will bring you to the good land. Eretz Nachalemayim, a world, a, a land which is flowing with water. Ayanos usahamos yotzim babika uvahar. Uh, of springs and underground water coming forth in valleys and mountains. Um, he'll bring you to this land of goodness. Namely, which land is that? Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Chito It's a land of wheat and barley. It's a land of um, grapes. Usaina Verimona figs and pomegranates. Eretz Yishemen Udavash. It's a land of olives that produce oil and honey. These are the seven species of the land of Israel. This is the origin. Seven species through which the land is praised. So Hashem is going to bring us into this land. That's the ultimate destination. Um, look at the Bal HaTurim. We should walk in the way with Hashem. Says the Bal HaTurim of Yaakov ben Asher. Begematria Lilmo Torah. To walk in Hashem's ways means to learn His Torah. To never stop learning His Torah. If we learn His Torah, occupy ourselves with His Torah, then we merit this blessing in the land. Eretz Chito Saura Pasuk Ches. How many words in verse 8? Count them. How many words in verse 8? Ten. Ten words. Says the Balaturim, Yud Tevos Bapasuk. Thank you so much. Ten words in the verse. The Gemara Brachos on Daf Lamed Ches says that when a person makes hamotzi, they should have all ten fingers on the bread. That's the minute when we make hamotzi all seven days of the week. But on Shabbos, we hold the two loaves. All ten fingers are on contact 
you just washed your hands, so don't worry, it's okay, they're clean. All ten fingers are in contact with the bread when you make the bracha of Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Why? To remember the ten words in this Pasuk. Yud Tevos B'Pasuk. Lekach Tzarech Litan Yud Tzvos B'Pas B'Shaz Bracha. Vod Keneged Yud Mitzvos Shenasu B'Pas. The other reason we hold all the bread with all ten fingers is to remember and recall the ten mitzvos that are connected with the making of bread. Namely, uh, lost the place. Losachrosh, you're not allowed to plow. Losachrosh shor bedisho. Losizra kelayim. Leket shichcha peh. Losachzam. So on and so forth. You have all of these mitzvos connected with the development of ultimately getting bread. There are ten mitzvos to arrive at bread. So you have ten fingers on the bread when you make the when you make the bracha. Right, okay, so Pasuk Ches, again, so the, the Balaturim said the uh, reason we grip the bread with ten fingers, to remind us the ten words in this Pasuk, the ten mitzvos that uh, develop bread, and as uh, Moshe Leib said, thank you, also the ten uh, words in the bracha of Hamotzi Lechem Min Haaretz. Pasuk Ches, Eretz asher lo b'miskenus tocha balechem lo sechzar kol ba. Eretz asher avaneha barzel umeharareha tachtsov. This land is a very special land. Hashem is taking us to a place that will eat bread without poverty. We won't be with sakana. We won't be in danger. We won't be in poverty when we eat the bread. Um, it's a land where we won't lack for anything. Nothing will be missing. It's a land where the stones are made from iron. Uh, and the hills, the mountains will mine with copper so what's going on here in this Pasuk what's the connection between all of this so uh, first of all what does it mean that we're going to eat bread without danger, we're going to eat bread without, uh, without hunger so the Ashbam writes in Pasuk Tess we don't have to eat uh, stale bread There'll be such abundance when we get into the land of Israel, we won't eat stale bread. In addition to the wheat and barley, which is the ingredients for bread, there's also going to be gefenus ein of and these other ingredients. So the bread won't be stale. There's sweetness. We're going to get dips, all kinds of salads. The land is going to provide uh, a tremendous... Uh, um, appetizers, buffet it's not going to be a land just of stale bread that's the kind of wealth and prosperity we're going to experience in this land um, the Kliyakar has a creative interpretation here based on the Gemara and Tainus Eretz Asher Avaneha Barzel a land whose stones are iron don't read it sons but read it boneha, those who built it Elu these are Tamidei Chacham, Tamidic scholars who are occupying themselves with the foundation of the world. They're building the very world like iron, just like iron is the foundation of a building. Why did the Gemara derive this, uh, this lesson about Tamidei Chacham? Just read it it's the way the verse sounds. The verse begins by talking about bread. Afterwards, you eat and you're satisfied. What does iron and copper have to do between the eating the bread and being satisfied from the bread? Right? So again, the Kliyakar is bothered by... If you read the Psukim, 
Kodesh Baruch Moshe describes the ingredients of the land, the seven species of this land. Then he says, this is a land that you're not going to ever go hungry. The bread is fantastic. Oh, and by the way, there's iron and copper. And when you'll eat, you'll be satisfied, you'll make a bracha. Why interrupt the bread and eating and being satisfied with the concept of this iron and copper? So he says, All of this is metaphorical. All of these verses are not talking literally about bread and ingredients and eating and iron. But rather, it's talking about learning. Kikach darcha shel Torah, pas b'melech tocho. Mishnah Novos says that's the way Torah is learned. People are eat; they eat just eat bread dipped in salt. Rabbiur husha eretzelo ba'avur miskenus v'dalus tocha balachem k'moshu v'rilosechter koba elafishehi eretz hashiravanea bonea barzel mechadad and zel azeb alacha v'kol kach yelam cheshek b'Torah atchali yidrushu ezem v'komen shazvacha marug tzom v'shachad boker bakar aliyistavku balachem levad. They will be so satisfied from the learning that they'll be doing. They'll be establishing, supporting, upholding the world through the Torah that's being studied. They'll be satisfied with bread alone to nourish them because they won't need delicacies. Don't say these yeshiva students are going to become weak. All they're doing is sitting and learning. They're not eating real food. They're going to be weak. Torah will give them strength. They will be strong like iron. And the Kliyaka goes on with this theme. But what I wanted to share with you is that the Kliyaka reinterprets these psukim not to be talking literally about the ingredients of the land, but a metaphor for those who learn Torah. Torah is often likened to bread, and so on and so forth. What does it mean that you're not going to go hungry? What does it mean that you'll always be satisfied? Is it possible in Eretz Israel today, are there not hungry people? There's a tremendous population living below the poverty line. How could a Kurdish Baruch who promised that when you go into Israel, you're never going to go hungry, you're never going to want. So, we say at the end of benching, We end our benching with the Pasuk from Tehillim. David HaMelech says, Once I was young, and now I am old. But I've never seen a righteous person or his children longing for bread. Now, I don't understand that. You never saw a tzaddik? You don't see righteous people, Tamiti Chacham and Torah scholars, suffering in poverty, longing for bread? We see good... Today's daf yomi. Tzaddik Varalo, Rasha Vatovlo, Moshe said to Hashem, show me your face. So what do you mean? You don't see righteous people who are hungry? So in the Rabbi Jonathan Sachs Sitter, put out by Koran, he quotes in his commentary on benching from Rabbi Soloveitchik. And he writes, Rabbi Soloveitchik argued the word lo ra'isi, I have never seen, should be understood in the same sense in which it appears in the book of Esther. When Esther pleads on behalf of the Jewry, she says, Something like that. What's the Pasuk? We read it with the tune of Eicha. How can I see the harm that's come on my people? So there the word, the verb there means not to watch, but to stand as passive witness to. Taken in the sense, the Pasuk here in Tehillim should be understood as, when the righteous was forsaken or his children forced to search for bread, I never merely stood and watched. Understood thus, it is a warning against being a mere bystander while other people suffer. 
brings the grace to a symmetrical close. It began by speaking of God's goodness and feeding the hungry, and it ends with an injunction for us to do likewise. This too is part of walking in God's ways. So Rabbi Sachs quotes a beautiful interpretation from the Rav. We end benching below Ra'isi Tzadik I have never seen, but I've never been a bystander. I've never been passive to someone else's poverty or suffering. I was reminded of that vort from the uh, from the pasuk here. So this ends the achalta We will eat and we will be satisfied and we will bench. This is the origin of the biblical obligation to bench. When we eat bread, when we eat a meal and we're satisfied, we have to thank Hashem, we have to offer Him benching. We only have to bench when we've eaten to satisfaction. If you had a meal where you're less than fully satisfied, then you're not obligated biblically to bench, we're only obligated rabbinically. In fact, the... Uh, the Gemara says, Karsh Baruch says, look at my people, my children, they, they try to bribe me. They have won me over. Because I told them they only have to bench when they eat to their satisfaction. But they've taken upon themselves to even bench when they've eaten only a kazayas, even when they've eaten a smaller amount, only the amount of an olive or an egg, a kabeza. Nevertheless, they bench. So Rabbi Salavechik, in the Sefer Darosh Darash Yosef, by Rabbi Avishai David, who has Divrei Torah of the Rav on the Parsha, he quotes, the Rav expounded the Gemara Brachos. Jewish people are meticulous with themselves with regarding the amount of food item, size of an olive or an egg for which they're required to praise. So the Rav presented, Eretz Yisrael as a land of plenty, contains streams, produces seven principal species. Many Rishonim held the Torah obligation of Birchaz and Muslim applies only when one is satisfied. But said the Rav, the Yiddish Kayach, the strength of the Jew is to praise God even when we are not obligated to do so. We praise God even when we have no temple, when we have no Yerushalayim, when it's not in our possession. Even if we eat an amount the size of an egg or the size of an olive and are not satisfied, we're still ready to give thanks to our Kaddish Baruch. We find the strength to praise God even amidst the suffering. And this was the Rav's interpretation that Hashem shows us favor. We take great care to bless Hashem even when it's less than our satisfaction, even when we're suffering, even in our hardship. And that's what found favor in Hashem. He only obligated us to bless Him, to acknowledge Him when all is well. But even when we are not fully satisfied, we volunteer benching. And that volunteering wins and finds favor in the eyes of Hashem. This notion of benching, we spent time on it last Shabbos. That uh, the first three brachos of benching were instituted, the first uh, of Hazan was instituted by Yehoshua when they came into the land, the Gemara Bracho says. The second of, uh, of uh, I'm sorry, the first bracha of Hazan was instituted by Moshe when the man fell. The second was instituted by Yehoshua when they came in the land. The third by David and Shlomo uh, when they built the base on Mikdash. And that was Uvenei Yerushalayim. And those are the first three Armida Oraisa. In fact, to show, to signify that the first three are biblical, and the fourth blessing we have of Atova Metiv, Hakel Avina Makenu, and so on, is rabbinic. We answer the third bracha with our own Amen. Bonevar Achamav Yushalayim, Amen. We answer our own bracha with Amen in order to show that the fourth bracha is different than the first three. It's rabbinic in origin. We also begin it with Baruch Atah Hashem. It's not a bracha smucha lechaverta. We begin it with the word Baruch, which we don't do with Noda. In order to show that it is rabbinic. Why was this fourth bracha instituted? To commemorate 
52 years, 53 years after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, the city of Beitar, which was the headquarters of Bar Kokhva's rebellion, was destroyed. 800,000 Jews were murdered. Their blood ran two and a half miles into the sea. It uh, irrigated the vineyards of Hadrian, who led the Roman army, the legions that destroyed the city of Beitar. So many corpses, 800,000 were killed, they were not given for burial. It took years till the next Roman general allowed the Jews to bury the corpses. But God created a miracle. The corpses did not, um, did not decompose or smell. And there was a miracle that finally we were able to bury them. We acknowledge that in the bracha tov The obvious question is, we're calling God great? We're blessing and acknowledging God, the wonderful, awesome, amazing God, because the corpses didn't disintegrate or decompose? That's goodness? 800,000 people were killed. The city was wiped out. Destruction, devastation. The last stronghold of Judea. No longer sovereignty over the land. Exiled. And we're grateful because the bodies didn't decompose? So the Meshachachma of Meir Simchav Dvint on our Parsha asked this question and develops a very beautiful thought shared by the Tzlach, the Ben Yehoyada and others. We discussed this all last week. And why was it commemorated in Benching? Betar fell. We were given to allow them to be buried. Why Benching specifically do we commemorate it? Says the Meshachachma, when you say, you remember the building of Yerushalayim, the Beis HaMikdash, you feel, how is this relevant to me? I'm an exiled Jew. I don't have a Beis HaMikdash. No Delacha for the land. I don't have the land of Israel in its redeemed status, in its holiest status. How is this benching relevant to me? So therefore the Baruch HaTova Metiv comes along and says that just like, just like the corpse, we were killed, but we retained a little dignity that ultimately we found burial and we didn't decompose, so to the Jew in exile retains a sense of dignity, a sense of longing, a sense of hope that we will come back. Says the Meshachach Malachain Tiknu HaTova Metiv Al-Kiyom HaUma that the Romans are gone. Hadrian is no longer remembered, but here we are, the Jewish people. Hatov v'hametiv. God's goodness is the Jewish continuity. That even though it is in exile that we exist, nevertheless, we continue, we have survived, and we long and hope for the return. And therefore, during benching, benching is right after we've eaten, we've nourished ourselves. We bench after we've eaten to say to Hashem, I nourish myself, I am committed to continuity, I am committed, committed to keep going, I am committed to nourish myself, to find the strength to take one more step towards the redemption. So it's in benching which follows our meal that we acknowledge Hashem and that we're thankful for the continuity of our people and that we express the faith that we will find our glory once again and our dignity once again and return to a period of Uvene Yerushalayim. Have a great job.